At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, as many of you have been doing over Instagram and on Facebook, it's been the turn of the year, and so it is a time for us to make resolutions that we do not intend to keep, as well as to think about whatever the last year was. A friend of mine, one of, our, one of my best friends, uh, has made the resolution to turn off songs by Gloria Estefan. Now, it took her years to come to this lofty place, but she realized that neither she nor Gloria Estefan would be the worser for just any time that song comes on, just turn it off. And so far, we're now two days in, and she tech, and a group text we're all in, she said that she has been successful to this point to turn off any Gloria Estefan song. Now, I myself have thought about working out thought about it. Um, now, I haven't actually done anything about it yet. It's more in the thinking process still. But if uh, I hope that this is a year in which we can all change the rhythms of our life so that they can establish better who we are. Part of 2021 for us Didlakes was a year of transition. Back in last March, my wife and I realized that our time in New Jersey had started coming to a close and that for better or for worse, and to whatever might come, we were supposed to move to Michigan. I had no clue Plymouth existed. I had no, I had no clue about this church. Never heard of Woodside before. But we had family in Fenton, Michigan, and my wife grew up there, and so we knew that it was, it was finally, in, we were in that pocket of time where moving was the right next choice. And so we entered into a four-month scramble. It was like trying to thread a needle while running. It was nearly impossible and terribly frustrating most of the time. And so, but we, we, we sold a house, bought a house, left a school, found a school, left a job, found a job, all in four months. It was insanity. And 2021 for us will be the time in which we not only left that which was known and established for us after 10 years of living in Stafford Township, New Jersey, but also finding ourselves in this new fancy place called Michigan. Well, my wife found, herself, found out that the Jack Kirksley Recreation Center has classes for days. There's classes for everything you could possibly want. And being the overachiever that my wife is, she signed us up for everything, absolutely everything. There wasn't a single night in my week that wasn't plagued with some class that we had to go and attend. And one of them, actually two of them, we signed up for two of these, was a dojo. We were gonna learn to be ninjas or something. I actually don't even know. But it was so interesting walking in there. Now, here I am, 37 year old, years old, never kicked with any intentionality in my life. And I walk in, and they're like, you can't walk in. First do the, and then the, have, has anyone here ever done martial arts? Well, I haven't. I was very uncomfortable the whole time. I, I'm not one for a fight. I'm a man of peace, not war. But as soon as I walked in, I was like skirted right back out, and they were told, no, in order to walk in here, you must stand at a certain kind of position, say words that I had never heard, and then bow, and then there was some sort of like formality given. We also had to wear white suits. That's where I drew the line. Just couldn't do it. My children were part of that. And on their first day of this dojo, they, this, they walk in, they too were skirted right back out, they had not learned the proper decorum. So before even learning how to kick, punch, and scream with the rest of them, they found themselves being ushered out to learn decorum and rhythms. It was very weird for me. Because here are my children learning words that they do not know, 
in a language they do not know, to people they have never met, bowing and doing all of these rhythms, because from day one, no matter where you come from, they want you to identify with the rhythms of being in that martial art. From day one, they want you to learn that being in here is different from being out there. You walk in and it's like this. We do this, we say this, we show this kind of deference, we stand in this kind of line. From day one! And every group, no matter if it's Alcoholics Anonymous or any other group, every group that has existed from time immemorial has had rhythms that tell them who they are, that tell them what they're about. Today we're going to be looking at communion, a rhythm that we have had in Christianity since Jesus gave to us. It's very easy in American Protestant Christianity to forget about communion and baptism when those are actually the only two things, the only two rituals that Jesus gave us. The doing your daily devo, we made that up, as helpful as it is. The doing your daily prayers, we made that up, as helpful as it is. Jesus gave us the rhythm of communion and of baptism to remind us about who we are. And as we dive into today, I hope that you see that it's more than just us going around and drinking and doing all this. Like This rhythm has so much depth of importance. It is a sign, it's a stake in the ground that says, this is who I am. This is where I stand with God. And this is where he stands with me. Jesus lifted Jewish rituals and repackaged them for us. And our challenge today and our challenge moving into 2022 will be that just like joining a dojo or any other group and learning their rhythms, we might reconsider communion and its absolute importance for us. So turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. I'm going to have it on the screen, So, but if you want to read it on the screen, you want to read it on your Bible or laptop, I don't care. Let's read this together. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room that where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had been told to them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is the one of the 12 who is dipping bread in the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said to them, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And then he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not again, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is now experiencing his final meal 
with his disciples. It's called a Passover Seder. Now, what is a Passover? Very important for us to get this down. The Passover is the annual celebration given to Israel by God to help them recreate their salvation from slavery in Egypt. You can read about it all in the book of Exodus, but the Passover story took all of Exodus and all of its theological and personal meaning and it put it into a rhythm that they were to annually replicate to tell them who they were. They were not just people. They were Jews who had been saved, saved from slavery and captivity. At the end of the book of Genesis, God preserves the life of the children of Abraham and he gives them a safe home in Egypt. And through the works of Joseph, Jacob's son, God called one of the lowest in Egypt into the highest position in the land and saved thousands and thousands and thousands of lives through them. And God, through Egypt, blessed the people of Israel and multiplied them in their families. And for, then suddenly came up a Pharaoh who was not pleased with this deal. He saw the overwhelming abundance of the Israelites and he turned them all into slaves. And for 400 years, think about that, 400 years, they and their children were bound in slavery. God had promised that they would leave, and for 400 years, they held on to that promise. That is an astonishing amount of time. I forget what I ate yesterday. Can you imagine holding on to a promise for 400 years and passing it down thoroughly to each generation? There had to have been a point in which someone said, I give up. It simply just cannot be true. But after 400 years, God called a man named Moses to go before the Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. But Pharaoh in Exodus 5, 2 said, who is the Lord that I will obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and so I will not let Israel go. And then the Lord cracked his knuckles and said, well, allow me to introduce myself. And so begins the Exodus story. God poured out plague after plague after plague upon the children of Israel, I mean, not upon Egypt, to declare that he was Lord of all, to declare he was Lord of everything. He is the God over every idol and every land, every perceived God, every known God. And on the 10th and most awful plague, finally the Lord broke Pharaoh's hard heart. This was called the death of the firstborns. It's in Exodus chapter 12. God was going to judge the Egyptian, Pharaoh and the Egyptians by sending an angel of death throughout the land. But anyone who took a lamb and sprinkled its blood over their doorpost would be saved. And this is literally, the angel would pass over those houses and thus avoid any home that had had the sacrificial blood placed on the mantle of the door. This is the Passover lamb because the angel would see the house, see the blood that had atoned for it and pass over. And literally the blood, take, the, the lamb would take the sacrifice and the judgment on himself and make the house a free and safe refuge. The angel of death would then see a house that did not have blood over the mantle post and would enter in and disaster would hit. And during that same time, Israel was instructed as quickly as possible, make bread, make bread, because you were about to be out of here. Just like a child goes from being about to be delivered to it's coming, the child is coming. 
We've had three children, and it's amazing how all of this preparation, all of these, these contractions, and then suddenly, bam, it's not just a, a, a thought anymore. This is the reality. The baby is here. Not yet here, but here. That was what happened. And so while the Passover was happening, God told the children of Israel, make bread as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Don't even worry about leaven. Get to keep the leaven out. You're making flat, ugly, nasty, tasteless bread because you are about to leave. It'll be as fast as the moment a child begins to be born. And that was the Passover bread. Now, Pharaoh, of course, doesn't repent. And his final, after the final judgment breaks out, he gets ticked and is angry. Death had entered his house as well. So he takes up all of, all of his, um, his horde, his army, rushes out after the children of Israel who have now exited the promised land, pursues them into the sea. The sea washes over them. And Israel is saved. This dramatic story is the salvation story of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, look for it in the Psalms. You will find that any time Exodus and the events of Exodus are referenced, it's because it's a celebration of salvation. When they could look at what God had done for them in Egypt, they knew they were the children of God. The Exodus story is the story of Israel's salvation. The Passover story, the Exodus story, is Israel's salvation story. The Passover celebration and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were annual reenactments of the very way that God had saved them. At this time of the year, God called all the people to corporately act and remember his great rescue, his great work performed on their behalf. You see this in Exodus 13. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service, Passover, in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day you shall be, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Hold on to that phrase, for me, when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at its appointed time. Now, later in the Mishnah, I don't know if you've ever read the Mishnah, but it's a, a, basically a commentary of the Old Testament by Jewish rabbis. In the Mishnah, Rabbi Gamaliel, a famed rabbi, who actually makes an appearance in the book of Acts, notably, says this about the Passover. In every generation, a person is duty-bound to regard himself as if he has personally gone forth from Egypt, as if he has personally done this, since it is said, and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, it is because of that which the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. 
Therefore, we are duty bound to thank, praise, glorify, honor, exalt, extol, and bless him who did for our forefathers and for us all these miracles. He brought us forth from slavery to Egypt, anguish to joy, mourning to festival, darkness to great light, subjugation to redemption. So we should say before him, hallelujah. Do you see what he just did? He did more than just a reenactment. He said, see yourselves there. The people who exit, that's you. That's you and me. We're the ones exiting too with our forefathers. Now I grew up in the South. And Civil War reenactments are so weird, but they're a thing. Live action role play is a real serious thing in the South. And it is amazing to me how many times when I would, there was only one time I actually had the disservice of showing up to one. And you see, I saw all my friends dressed up as Southern Confederate soldiers, dressed up on the battlefield. And I don't understand why anyone would wear a costume in the first place, why they would darn these things for themselves. But what blew my mind is that as soon as they stepped onto the field, they weren't role-playing. This was a genuine reenactment because they saw their forefathers and themselves on that field. Now, the history of the Civil War is a complicated issue, but what was blowing my mind, even as a kid, was to realize this wasn't a story that had stopped. This was a story that was continuing to be told by families so that they saw that the Confederate soldiers who fell, we fell too. The Northern armies who, who fell, we fell too. Live action role play was more than just a way of remembering the past. It was a way of living the present through the past and to tell our children who we think we are and nature, the history that we learned. And these feasts were given to the people of Israel for the same reasons, so they could embody their identity as people of God all year long, so they could see that what had happened in the past was happening still, that God's salvation hadn't stopped because generations had passed. God had done a mighty work in their midst as well, because they too were people who had received the salvation of Israel. So let's think about Mark 14. We all have it open, presumably. And if you have a pencil, I would encourage you to pull it out. And right above most of the paragraphs in the English Bible, there's this paragraph heading that says, the institution of the Lord's Supper or the institution of communion. No, cross that out if, if you believe in that sort of thing. And write, Jesus places the Passover on himself. Or write something like, I am the Passover. Because that's what's really happening. Jesus is going to take all of this information, all of this corporate identity, and he's going to place it on himself. This is literally the most important self-identifying festival in the Jewish calendar. And Jesus is going to take it and place it on himself. That would be like someone stepping in and saying, the 4th of July is officially about me. Everyone would be like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, wait, you're serious? That's what Jesus is doing here. This is not just about communion. This is about the Passover being taken by the God of glory and him saying, all of this salvation of Israel that happened in the past is pointing to this moment 
when I, your Lord, am about to break my body and spill my blood for you. Jesus takes the festival bread and the wine, and he takes it and places it on himself. Jesus takes the bread, meant to remember the captivity of Israel and the quick escape, and he says, this bread now represents my body, which is about to be broken for you. I am your true escape from captivity. Jesus takes the wine, meant to, re meant to remember God's salvation via the Passover lamb, and says, this cup now represents my blood, which I am going to pour out on your behalf. I am your true escape from captivity. Jesus has just taken the core message of their Jewish identity, the core message of their salvation, and he's saying all of this points to what's happening right now. Imagine that. Imagine the awe and confusion and almost the feeling of being theological heretics that the disciples must have felt. What is he doing? You've just taken everything we've been known and believed and you've said it's about you? And Jesus says, yes, it's totally about me. He says, I am the true salvation. The bread pointed to me for my salvation and my kingdom are imminent. You are about to be truly free. I am the true salvation. The cup pointed to me for I am the lamb of God who's going to cover the sins of not just Israel, but the whole wide world. And he's not done. Because Jeremiah 31 makes this prophecy about the one who would take all the sins on himself. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer shall each one say to his neighbor, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Taking it all together, what we see is this. The Passover is Israel's recreation of their salvation story. Jesus takes the Passover and says, this story is mine. And now we get a chance to see that communion makes visible our participation in that story. Jesus has taken all of the elements of Israel's corporate salvation, applied it to himself, and said, everyone, the true salvation that was promised to Adam, promised to Abraham, to Moses, to David. It's here. And it's for you. I want you to imagine the magnitude of that claim. I was reading an article a while back about the team that made the Kindle. Now, the Kindle has been a game changer in the world of books. But I remember one of the reading, I forget who it was, but one of the software designers was told by, I think, Jeff Bezos himself, or one of his cronies, that said, I want you to kill the book. And they realized that they were in a place of making history. The room was filled with awe. But let's think about what Jesus is doing here. God 
looks at Adam and says, in your curse, there's coming one who will crush the serpent's head. And Jesus says, that's me. To Abraham, God says, through you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. And to Jesus says, that's me. To Moses, we find that there's coming a salvation to which the Exodus story points. And Jesus says, that's me. And then to David, the promises of a kingdom that will rule over all kingdoms and never have an end. And Jesus says, that's me. And then he says, Jesus looks to his disciples and says, the covenant that's been promised where all hearts will be made brand new, where a king is on the throne, that's me and that's you. Can you imagine being in that room? The awe and overwhelming, it takes me months to learn a thing. Can you imagine how, how they tried to decompress that? Because as they were eating bread, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, take, this is my body. It's no longer the Passover body. And he took the cup and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, my blood. Truly, I say to this, say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in you in the kingdom of God. Passover is Israel's recreation of their salvation story. Jesus takes the Passover and says, the story is now mine. And communion makes visible our participation in this story. Because as Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we all were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to become righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered among transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. As they were eating, Jesus said, this is my body, my blood poured out many. Now, people debate this passage. You can't come across a communion sermon without a mention of the different interpretations. You have the people 
that, uh, who believe in transubstantiation, which is like our Catholic brothers and sisters, who believe that when, he, when you give communion, it literally turns into the body and blood of Christ. And then there's another view called consubstantiation, which is typically held by the Lutherans and the Anglicans and Episcopalians. They believe that this is my body, this is my blood, means that the essence of the body and blood are present there. And then you have the, uh, what's the last one? Uh, commemoration? I think it's, it's a weird word, but I just forgot it. The emphasis is on the reenactment, so that you receive a grace of the Lord. You receive part of his blessing. And each of these doctrines, we can debate them all day long. We can debate them until the cows come home. But each of these doctrines seeks to understand the beauty of the gift that God has given us. But each of them must start here, where Jesus applied the salvation story and rescue of Israel upon himself. He took the cup and he said, this is me. He took the bread and he said, this is me. No longer is the cup a remembrance of, the, of, of Egypt. No longer is the bread a remembrance of the Passover lamb. It's a remembrance of him. And Jesus gave this to us and said to us Christians to stop. And as often as you take of this, remember him. When we take communion, I've grown up in the church. I know how easy it is to just peace out during communion. I've done it the first Sunday of every month ever since before I was born. Maybe that's your story too. But this morning and into this year, I want to challenge us to see ourselves anew. We aren't just taking a ritual just for its own sake. We are literally reenacting the salvation of God and placing it on our story so that like Israel, we see ourselves in the story too. This isn't just the story of their savior. This is your story too. This isn't just the story of the apostles. This is your story too. When you take this, I mean, this is a little dinky, but when we take this together, we are literally putting us a standing stone on the ground and saying, this is who we are. This is what I am. I may feel like crud 90% of the time. I might have anxiety out the wazoo. I might struggle with depression. I might have 45 addictions, but this is who I am by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has set me free. His death was mine. His blood shed was for me. And I'm to see myself in the story as he is in the story. Jesus has taken the story of God's salvation, placed it on himself, and he's given it to you. So I don't know what your week has been or what your general feeling about 2022 is, whether it's optimism or complete frustration with the fact that we still have a virus at loose. We still have corrupt politicians everywhere. It's snowing outside. How can it be warm finally, like Texas? Whatever it is, though, Communion tells us who we are. It tells us that God has not given up on this story and that we have been people made truly free in the salvation that he purchased for us on the cross. So I encourage you, let's pull this up together and let's take it as people who by faith relive the rhythms that God has given for, to us for all generations to reenact in our story what God has done for all time. Jesus took 
the bread. And after blessing it, he gave it to him and said, take, this is my body. Let's take this together. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's drink together. We have just reenacted the salvation of God. And we have just declared together that this salvation is ours. Dearest one, the world offers you so many things, so many reasons to doubt the Lord. It offers you a thousand different explanations of who you are. Even Christians offer you bad explanations of who you are, saying, oh, you're just a saved sinner. No, you're not. Communion tells you you've been saved. You've been set free. You are free indeed. Whenever you feel lost and lonely this year, and you feel like sin has taken you down, when you feel that the weight of whatever's inside your head and the weight of whatever's outside of your head has washed and has finally gotten to a killing point, Take communion and remember who you are. You are loved by the God of the universe. You are a child of the king. You have been bought with a price. You've been adopted into his family. There is now no condemnation for you. The darkness that we see around us, we're gonna outlast that. Christ will be made True in the end, because we will see every promise that he said become yes. So hope this year, trust and believe. And any time that you forget who you are, take communion. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.